0: Welcome to the Future Projection Podcast, a Baseball America podcast. This is episode 48. I'm Carlos Colazzo Back after a week off, last week I was in Maine, taking a vacation. This week, Ben Badler, my typical co-host, is off. He's not on vacation, though. He's actually working, unlike some on this podcast. He's down in the DR, uh, watching a bunch of international prospects. We've already seen a few highlights that he sent from, from his trip down there, so I'm excited to see... Uh, what he thinks about it when he comes back next week we should be back on a normal schedule with the podcast but today uh, for the first time at least on this feed we have Peter Flaherty who covers college baseball and covers the draft with myself Uh, we have a top 400 draft update that just was released on the site today Um, this is a Thursday as we record this podcast April 27th Um, so we're going to talk a lot of draft today some college baseball kind of a look at the the scene as we stand here really like with a month to go in the college baseball season. It feels crazy that we're already almost kind of winding down. It feels like just yesterday we got started. But uh Peter, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining me on the podcast and uh looking forward to chatting with you.
1: I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on. When you slacked me asking me to come on, I was honored because I know the the I guess longevity and how highly the future projection podcast is thought of. So I was stoked <laughs> to get the invite. I made sure to do my due diligence in terms of research. And
0: I'm Hopefully with you. you it didn't take it's... too long listening to all of our rambling podcasts.
1: <laughs> no, I I'm with you though on uh, it's you know it's not have a catch. It's it's playing catch. But
0: yes, thank uh, you, thank you. And, wait, and you're from the Northeast too. So give give me a little more uh, background on playing catch versus have a catch because I was under the impression that is is like a very niche thing to the northeast somewhere am I wrong on that do you know where specifically it is because that was always my assumption maybe I'm wrong
1: so I never even re- like I was little and I never even realized that have a catch was a thing when I was growing up learning how to play baseball with my dad um my dad would always be like let's go outside and play catch and yes. so that's what it was like when I was at a little league field high school travel it was always let's go play catch or let's go throw and then have a catch. I was like, what is this? So I, I'm
0: always. <laughs> it gives I'm me the heebie jeebies when I hear it. I hate it so much. It's the other, just so weird. The other thing that I saw on Twitter today, which is one of these, like, again, this is one that I didn't even know was much of a debate, but I saw, I don't remember who the account was, but basically they were saying, like, in their office, they were having a debate on what does the phrase put up a crooked number mean? To me, that was very obvious, but now I'm, I'm like wondering if I've just been missing something. But what does that mean to you, that phrase, put up a crooked number? So
1: I've thought like Red Sox and eight, or whoever, <laughs> two teams are playing and then one team scores, I don't know, five or more runs, four or more runs, and they're happening.
0: So what, what what is the lowest number that would count as a crooked number? Because to me, it always meant more than one run. Because if you just look at the scoreboard, a one is just a straight line. It's not crooked. Once you get two... Like you're, you're in the crooked numbers at that point. I, I basically thought of you. That's need That's actually a true. Runs. The numbers
1: are literally crooked. Um, <laughs> so I guess you're right with the more than one, which I which that makes sense. Yeah. So I think uh, crooked, meaning plural, and then also the shape of the numbers that plays. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what I thought it was. But I, I don't know. I guess there are a million baseball terms and phrases that we, we could argue about. We need to find one for each episode of the show and basically just <laughs> start out the show talking about ludicrous, nonsensical baseball. Phrases. Oh, one thing too that is is kind of a bit on the future projection podcast is so the stat where you combine on base percentage um, and slugging percentage. How do you say that stat?
1: On base percentage and slugging is OPS.
0: So you don't say OPS?
1: No. Oh, I'm a WOBA guy. I don't say OPS
0: though. <laughs> oh man, you're you're with Ben on that one and against me. So maybe I'm <laughs> rethinking having you on this episode.
1: OPS well, sounds way cooler though. Yeah. Uh, I might, been, you may have just pushed me. I didn't even know it was a
0: thing. I'm not sure. I think most people do say OPS based on the criticism that I personally received in my text messages after that show aired. Um, a lot of people think of OPS as like baseball OPS, like the operations. Um, yeah. And so they don't use it for that. But I think it's a bit of a BA tradition. I think John Manuel and Jim Callis both always said OPS, um, and I unknowingly also said OPS. So I'm kind of just sticking to it stubbornly at this point, even if it's wrong. Um, so you're a WOBA guy. You're an OPS guy. Uh, I know Matt Eddy is trying to make work plus a thing for WRC plus, but um, I'll refrain from running through all of my random little pet peeves and idiosyncrasies um, with baseball phraseology. Uh, let's get into some <laughs> draft talk. So last night, we were busy grinding away, uh, trying to get our top 400 ready for publication. This is the... I guess it's not really the penultimate draft ranking on the site because after we get to the 500, we'll still tweak it. Um, but I guess it's the penultimate expansion of the list because we, we do have one more update really towards the end of the college regular season while, where we'll get to the BA 500 um, and then we'll feel like you know we've gotten the bulk of the list done. It's always a great feeling, but we'll still have two months or so, a month and a half um, to talk about feedback from whether it's bullpens whether it's um players performing in the cape cod league other summer leagues uh, after the season there will still be some player movement so we'll still tweak the 500 as we get feedback from the industry but we're kind of in the seventh or eighth inning of the process of of developing the ba500 which really does feel crazy i i think it's been easier this year i think because you're on board which is very helpful and i think our list is is certainly improved from that peter so i'm excited to get some of your expertise on on these college players but what do you currently think about the draft class as we stand today? So I think the biggest, the biggest thing that jumps out to me in terms of top of the board action is just how much people have been talking up Walker Jenkins over the last few weeks. I'd say he's he's been the player that's really gotten the most buzz um, of this kind of top tier of players. It feels like he's solidly in that top tier. It might even still be. I know in the past we've talked about a group of top four players in the 2023 class with Dylan Cruz, with Paul Skeens at LSU, with Wyatt Langford at Florida, and then with Tennessee right-hander Chase Dolander. Now I feel like Jenkins is in that mix. Maybe Dolander is like right outside of that mix. Um, I guess you could draw the tier breaks in a number of different ways, but Jenkins is the buzzy guy. I think he's going to go off the board really quickly. It still looks like an awesome draft to me, but what are, what are your thoughts on kind of how we stand today?
1: I was going to say, it seems like, With Jenkins and Clark, it almost feels like they're 1A and 1B respectively, kind of how it was viewed with Cruz and Dolander on the college side, at least coming into the year. It kind of feels like that's the tier list in terms of the high school guys. I personally am impressed, and maybe I'm biased, and I probably am, because so much of my coverage is on the college side. I'm impressed with how deep the college class is. It seems like everywhere you look, that there are in really any game, at least in the power five conferences you can turn on and even outside that you're probably going to catch at least one. And in some cases a, a handful of top 10 round draft picks. So I'm impressed with the depth on the college side. Mm-hmm. There've been some names that have really flown up boards that we'll get into. Um, and then, as I've mentioned, I'll always have a soft spot for this draft class because it's my first one at um, BA. But, yeah. It's really yeah, going
0: to ruin you, I think, because this is definitely the best class that I've covered. And obviously, you paid attention to the draft. It's not like you're entirely new to this, but... I, I certainly have a soft spot for the 2018 draft class, which was very heavy on the high school pitchers. Maybe that's why I'm I'm fond of that demographic because I just remember watching guys like Ethan Hankins and Kamar Rocker and Liberatore and JT Ginn, all those guys shoving um, at PG National, which was one of my first events, kind of really doing it at BA. But yeah, this, this draft is fantastic, I think. You mentioned the college depth. What really strikes me as well, in, in addition to Walker Jenkins moving up at the top is On this update, I felt like we were moving up a lot of high school players into the first round range back of the first round range. And typically the like macro movement at this stage of the season is high school players in general are trending down. College players in general are trending up And the fact that we've had so many high school players just keep moving up boards during the spring, I think speaks to the depth of talent in the class. Uh, the amount of tools we have in the class, and just the performances we've seen from a lot of these players. There are so many pitchers around the country who uh, just have massive helium. There's a great bundle of like high school shortstops that are in that back-of-the-first supplemental first-round range. We'll talk about a few of them here, but I just feel like this draft class really has the best of both worlds. You've got elite college players. You've got a deep college class. You've got really impressive high school players at the top. Me and Ben have talked about it before. I'm curious what you think, but I think Walker Jenkins and Max Clark fit solidly with the top high school players in any recent draft class you want to pick out. Um, The fact that they're ranked where they are just speaks to like Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens and Langford being so good. Um, And then you've got a ton. I I think the pitching depth on the high school side is pretty phenomenal. You've got college arms. I don't know that you have the same – depth on the college side that that gets you really excited i think there are some college pitchers that maybe haven't fully risen to the occasion but even while saying that we have more college pitchers in the top 15 spots or so on this board than i feel like we've had in the last few years where we've really been lacking those elite college pitching prospects and even if the depth wasn't fantastic having a guy like paul Skeens does a lot to make up for that um and i think he's the best college pitcher that i've covered in my time at baseball america so it's just a very, very strong draft class. Um, and I'm excited to see how everything unfolds when we, when we get to Seattle and and see what happens in July.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's a great point you made about comparing the college to high school pitching classes with, it's obviously exceptional with Paul Skeens, who there's an argument to be made. He's a once every decade or so at, at the earliest type of arm that you get. I mean, it's a Front of the rotation bona fide starter. Um, and then obviously with Chase owner at the top. But I that that trio or that cluster of Noble Meyer, Thomas White, um Bryce Eldridge, and Charlie Soto, that that's a really impressive crop of high school arms. And like you said, it's it's a really impressive group of 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 arms across the board, but that high school class, I think has the upper hand in terms of depth and sheer upside.
0: Yeah. Then even beyond those names, you get into some guys like a Cameron Johnson, a left-handed pitcher at IMG Academy, Joey Volchko, who's just been a massive riser on the West coast. You've got Alexander Clemmie, who's the lefty, is throwing 99 insane arm talent out Adam Hockman, similarly uh, supremely arm talented from the left side. Uh, You've got more players from the West Coast and Paul Wilson, who's getting some second round buzz. Um, You could just kind of keep going down this list. Landon Marutis, another guy who's been a big riser in Florida. Josh Knoth in the Northeast. It really feels like every area in the country has had a pitcher or several pitchers who have moved up the board. And the the typical wisdom is, you know, the high school pitchers are going to slide down the board as the season goes along. And the college pitchers are going to, rise now maybe we're just at a point where the draft is far enough back that the people are just getting excited about the high school pitchers now and as we get closer maybe they'll start to slide down as some of these college uh college arms post in conference tournaments and regional play um we still have plenty of time for that to happen but i really am just impressed with with the amount of talented pitchers that we have currently in like the top 75 ish range it really feels like there are a number of exciting options and if you want to target pitching in this class you'll you'll have the opportunity to do so um even though i think we have one two three four five six yeah just six of the top 22 players on the board are pitchers um which i feel like that lines up with what the industry wants to take typically you want to get those elite hitters at the very top um but again i can't i can't stop talking about how impressed i am with this draft class the more I talk with people, I'll have conversations with scouts, and I feel like I I like it already, and then the call ends. And I'm like, man, there's another guy that I didn't know about. There's another there's another player. There are a few guys who are further down this, this draft board that we'll get into today that I'm excited to talk about, but I really just like this class a lot. Um, no, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, like, there are, at the top of the class at least, and even as you go further, there are guys where their upside is – like mlb all-star type upside which um it is rare i think for a draft class where no matter kind of where you're picking and this is the case for for every class like you're going to hit on guys later in the first round you're going to hit on guys on day two you're going to even hit on guys in day three and with a slam dunk free agent signing who are impact big leaguers so that's that'll be the case this year and every year going forward but i'm really impressed like The upside of these guys, even with Cameron Johnson, who we have ranked just inside the top 40, he's an exceptional arm, 6'5 lefty, up to 98 with sink, feel for breaking ball, changeup coming along. Um, When you can get guys like that potentially in the middle of the second round, it's a testament to the depth of the class, I think.
0: Absolutely. And then even at the top of this high school pigeon group, Noble Meyer, I think he stacks up with some of the better high school pitchers we've had in recent years. I think the comparison he gets frequently, which is um, probably geogra- based on like where he's at in Oregon, is Abel. I think it's a fine comparison. I think he he lines up with. I mean, at this point, he's probably seen as like a better prospect than Andrew Painter at the time. In hindsight, I think Painter would probably go quite a bit higher, just given what he's done in pro ball. Um, but he, he really stacks up with a lot of the best high school pitchers we've seen in recent years as well. Thomas White, um, I mean, he's been famous for years. Ben has been all over him for years in Massachusetts, just massive left-handed pitcher. It sounds like he's looked really good early this spring, throwing hard, throwing with ease, um, throwing strikes. That's that's what you want to see with Thomas White. Um, really the only area of weakness that I see in this draft class, and I'm curious if there's one that, that maybe I'm not thinking of it, that you think there is, is catcher. Um, And and maybe it's the case that the last few years we've just kind of been spoiled with catchers in the draft. It seems like there have always been a couple top-of-the-first-round catchers, particularly on the college side in recent years. Kyle Teal is kind of carrying the demographic on his shoulders so far. We have him right in the middle of the first round. I think we started him out preseason. I actually have this up right here. Preseason, we started him out on our top 200 list in January. Okay, we had him lower than I thought. We had him at 32 um then he moved to 24 now he's at 15 so he's really just hit consistently i guess going back to our fall list from like fall of 2022 we had him in the first round but he's kind of always been hovering around that range the performance he's shown so far this spring has him solidly in that range and i think any catcher who's performing this year is probably going to get a bit of an artificial boost in terms of where they're going in the draft i think that happens every year regardless of the the, the depth or the lack thereof of the position just because you always need catchers in pro ball but especially this year when there just seem to be fewer impact catching talents at some point you're going to look down on your board you've gotten your top targets and you just need to fill some catching uh, there are going to be some players that, that benefit from that we've got Blake Mitchell in Texas who is in the back of the first round and then Ralphie Velasquez who's a catcher on the west coast with Huntington Beach High School powerhouse there He's just gotten I'd say pretty consistent up arrow feedback. Um people love him, the swing is really impressive, the zone control is impressive, he's got a strong arm. Um maybe more questions about if he's gonna stick behind the plate defensively, but it's been constant positive feedback from him. It wouldn't shock me if we wound up with with three catchers in the first round, which maybe seems crazy with how I'm talking about the class, but after that I think there's a pretty big gap in who your like next catcher is. Um, so that's kind of the one demographic that I'm like, eh, I don't really know, but I think all the other positions will make up for it.
1: That's an area for sure. Um, that was when you posed the question. That's what I was going to go with because after those first three catchers um, and especially on the college side, you're kind of looking at, I'd say, Cooper Engel, Luke Schliger, Michael Carrico, Jack Payton, guys like that in that next best range and there's a chance that a team might reach for him i know that carico is going to play on the cape this summer which selfishly i'm excited to see him for about five to six weeks so we'll have a good feel for him come draft time and we'll i think have a very accurate position on him um and then like you said they might be the beneficiary of a team wanting to go out and get a catcher early so if one of those guys leaks into late day one, it wouldn't totally shock me. And if we want to get even more nitpicky, we talked about the pitching depth, I guess, college left-handers. It's a little bit of a thin class. Um, Hunter Owens leading the way right now. And then yeah. you've got guys like Jaden Woods backing him up. But again, that's getting very, I think, specific. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily a lack of depth mm-hmm. because you've got Sullivan Woods and and Hunter Owen. But yeah. outside of the catching and I guess the, the college southpaws, it's a pretty... It's a pretty strong class.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the college lefties because I do think left-handed pitching in general is always a commodity. Just because it's it's rare to get uh, left-handed pitchers in general, just just how the population is is divvied up. And then beyond that, like college or left-handed pitchers who you actually want to take this high, it feels like I'm going to pull up the draft in recent years just to see. But it feels like we kind of always have a like that safe college lefty profile that's going somewhere in the middle of the first round the last few years we, we've always had a guy like that and i don't know if we're going to have that demographic this year i'm just pulling it up right now so in 2022 cooper jerpy was the name he went 22 overall you also had reggie crawford go 30 overall if you count him to the giants he's got the two-way element that maybe complicates things a bit but cooper jerpy was solidly that profile um 2021 you had jordan wicks who i think is exactly that that kind of player he was always this like high floor maybe not the biggest ceiling college lefty with polish but had an out pitch in the changeup. he went 21 overall you go back to 2020 um that was a pretty phenomenal draft for college left-handed pitchers it was asa lacy number four overall reed detmers number 10 garrett crochet number 11 and then jared schuster uh number 25 um go back to 2019 nick lodolo zach thompson ethan small all in the first round 2018 ryan rollison 22 overall shane mcclanahan 31 uh and i'll just do one more 2017 david david peterson number 20 and then seth romero maybe you want to take that one back but still two left-handed college pitchers in the first round uh this year are we going to have that peter i i don't see an obvious name at this point i thought maybe grayson hit would be able to pitch his pitches away into that role but it doesn't look like that's happening. All of our top left-handed pitchers are high school players. You have to go all the way down to hit at 73, I think, and then – or maybe Hunter Owen. No, Hunter Owen at 65, excuse me. Is he going to go in the first? That seems a bit steep to me, but if there's none other, no other players around, maybe he's one of these beneficiaries of a poor demographic.
1: Uh, on day one, I think we could see a few taken. Um, obviously, with Grayson hit, it's really unfortunate that he's going to be out for the year with Tommy John surgery. But we've seen it with guys in the past where if Hunter Owen goes down to Hoover and shoves in the SEC tournament and then is kind of Vanderbilt's anchor on their way to Omaha or a national championship, which absolutely could happen, then maybe someone goes for him on late day one. I just don't know what the current stuff that he's got. And that's not a knock on Owen, but it's not the... kind of super loud thunderous stuff Mm -hmm. we've seen get taken on day one and that's not to say that he's going to be a a poor professional pitcher I actually think he's going to be quite good Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't know if he's going to go in the first 30 picks of the draft Um, and then if you look elsewhere Sean Sullivan kind of the same thing Wake Forest um, is poised for an Omaha run and they've got louder at the front of the staff so I think Mm -hmm. that well, there's not going to be a lefty college arm taken in the first round of the draft. I wouldn't be shocked to see a few go even in, in early in the second round, early on day three. They'll they they'll kind of be plucked off the board quick with how, yeah. with how they're clustered.
0: Yeah, I'm just going back through a draft database right now, trying to find the, the first year where there was no college left-handed pitcher taken. And I've gotten basically to 2000 and every single year we've had a college lefty selected inside the first round so if that doesn't happen this year we'll have at least history for this century uh after the podcast i kind of want to go back and look at the entire draft history to see if we we've ever had a year where there's no college left-handed pitcher taken uh, and whether that tells us that that someone is going to be jumped up there or the fact that this is maybe a historically weak year for that demographic as a whole um But enough about what's bad about this class. Let's talk about some of the biggest risers. There will be a piece on the website tomorrow, potentially as you're listening to this podcast, on some of the bigger risers in the class. We'll get into a few of them here on this podcast, uh, but I'll just run down a few of the names. So this is basically... I just took the previous rank for players who were ranked, subtracted that by their current rank um, just to see overall movement. And for players who were not ranked on our last 300, I just give them uh, number 301. So the math is roughly right. Um, But we've got a number of high school right-handed pitchers, which again, a little bit more surprising than I feel like we have in a typical year. That demographic is just, it doesn't feel like it's the one that consistently is rising up boards. Um, But we've got, At 105, Cole Miller, a righty from Newbury Park High School in California. At number 109, we have Cameron Flukey, a right-handed pitcher from New Jersey, Egg Harbor Township High School. We've got a couple college infielders. Number 79, we have Josh Rivera at Florida, who's just been tremendous this year. We have right behind him, Kyle Karros, the third baseman at UCLA. Uh, and then I'll do the last big mover upboards who we just mentioned, uh number sixty five Hunter Owen, left-handed pitcher at Vanderbilt. And and as we talk about these left-handed pitchers, I'm even thinking, like, man, do we need to just keep pushing Owen up? I feel like we've moved him up every update, and I'm I'm still wondering if we're too light on him. But do any of those players jump out to you, Peter, as as someone who's super fascinating? I think just for me, Rivera will be interesting because he is a senior. Um, but at the same time, he's a player who had pedigree going back to high school. He's got solid tools. Uh, He's played defense at shortstop and he's played it well. And there've always been questions about the bat. He just never hit uh, like scouts expected him to. And all of a sudden now he's doing that. So I'm very curious how he'll be viewed. Maybe one of the better seniors in the class at this point.
1: I think that Rivera, I think you hit the nail on the head with him. I think he's established himself as the most coveted senior sign in this year's draft class, given what he's doing at florida like you said he's always been able to pick it at shortstop he's got a plus arm and good actions but the bat has just never he's gotten off to good starts with it but as the season's gone on and sec sec plays heated up it's kind of taken a step back this year it's the exact opposite he's hitting 386 with 14 bombs and 54 rbis he's setting career highs in in every offensive category and it's a pretty violent operation it's it's plus it bat speed. There's it's a high effort swing, and typically with guys like that, there's going to be a lot of all or nothing results. They're going to pull off of breaking balls. There's a lot of swing and miss. But
0: he also has Rivera's a career wa- career low strikeout rate this year while he's doing that.
1: It, yeah, he's walking more than he's striking out. He's generating quality impact, and all he's done is hit. And mm-hmm. I think he's established himself as someone who could even go on the later part of, in the later part of day one.
0: Yeah, it's pretty insane to to think about the. Just the the arc he's had since high school. I remember seeing him as a high school senior with the Florida Burn when when that travel ball organization um, went down and won the Jupiter event in Florida. I was just really impressed with with his ability to hit the ball to the opposite field. Now he's hitting for power, playing shortstop really well. He's stealing bases. He's also got a career high eleven stolen bases. Um, so that'll be a good one for a team that I don't know how much money you sign with a guy like Rivera, who's probably going to have a ton of attention from really every team in the industry. But um, the, the senior element there with him will be one that's interesting to watch unfold. Uh, and it's nice to see for him that he's finally having a year that, I mean, maybe you never expected a seven twelve slugging percentage from a guy like Josh Rivera. I probably didn't. Um, and maybe this leads into a conversation of, of how tricky it might be to evaluate power in the current college environment it just seems like everyone's hitting for career highs and home runs so that adds another layer of maybe complication to not only Rivera's evaluation but really every college hitter's evaluation um but yeah it's been fun to watch I think this is also the first time he's ever walked more than he struck out so just having everything kind of click together has been nice to see maybe it's easier when you're uh, quite a bit older than everyone, um, but the fact that you're an actually a legitimate shortstop helps the profile as well.
1: Yeah, and, and it is the first time he's walking more than he's striking out. He had some swing and miss issues his sophomore year. He, he struck out 52 times and 190 at bats. Backed it up last year to a K to walk of 44 to 30, and now this year, obviously, with the OBP near 500. But I, I think that the evaluating power in the college game, we could do a whole separate podcast on it, just because mm-hmm. there are all sorts of things flying around. Um, but on the college side, another guy that I like is Kyle Caros. in In terms of looking the part and sheer bloodlines, he fits the mold to a t. Six five, two twenty, moves well over at third base. There's he's he covers a lot of ground given his long levers. The arm is, I'd say, a tick above average and he might not be hitting for as much power as mm-hmm. as you typically like of someone that size, but he's he's got great bat-to-ball skills. It's a really short, easy swing that he can get into the gaps with, and it's, it's, it's pretty clear. I think that he's going to probably hit through the mm-hmm. professional ranks with just kind of his whole operation, and that's not a frame you're going to want to touch because I think if you add a little bit of weight to it or tinker with it, Um, he's probably going to have to slide over to first base, just Mm -hmm. given that he's not a superstar athlete. So I think you've got a clear pro third baseman on your side, who's hit over power, really good baseball instincts and, and, and great barrel sense. So he's another guy that I really like on the college side.
0: Yeah, we've heard a lot about how he's just a, a phenomenal pure hitter, the son of 14-year big leaguer Eric Karros, uh, who also played at UCLA. Kyle is 6'5", 220 pounds, so he's a really big kid. You look at the the max exit velocity numbers and the 90th percentile exit velocity numbers, and it's maybe not what you would expect for a player of that size, um, but I do think theres some there's been some commentary within the industry that maybe he's just a guy that's going to tap into that power a little bit later on in his career. He certainly has the strength um it, it seems like he just doesn't try to hit for power which i think is probably a good thing he just turned himself into a very good polished pure hitter who knows what he's doing can spray the ball around all fields um he's also named to the 2022 uh, pac 12 all defensive team which is kind of cool um you'd mentioned him maybe sliding over to first base if he adds a little bit more weight but the fact that at least people in the uh, in the Pac-12 recognize him with that honor. Says something about his defense if if maybe he's not going to be a gold glover ever at the hot corner. Uh, but he's one of the biggest risers. We have him solidly in the top 100 at this point. Maybe a third-round talent. Could see him going a little bit higher than that, depending on kind of what happens with the hitters in front of him on the board. Um, a few other names who are big movers up the board in this update. Um, another California right-handed pitcher, Cole Stokes. I'm not sure if I mentioned him previously. I don't think I did. Then we've got right-handed pitcher at Middle Tennessee State, Jaden Ham, Cameron Fisher, an outfielder at Charlotte, and then a right-handed pitcher out of Texas. You always have those Texas pop-up righties um, at number 175 in James L Winger. Um, Peter, let's stick with the college players. I know you like Cam Fisher a little bit. Tell me, tell me a bit about him.
1: Yeah, so Fisher's always been a power guy. He hit 18 home runs last year at Charlotte. He came from Walter State Junior College, where he hit over 300 with, I think it was 24 doubles and 13 home runs there. And then this year, he's he's exploding. He's hitting, I think, 356 for Charlotte with, um, I want to say, three. 18 or 19 home runs. Yeah, he's got 19 home runs already, 43 RBIs. And what's great about Fisher is he's got a pretty impressive Although limited, he's got a good track record hitting with Wood as well. On the Cape, the average kind of plummeted to 230. But he's hitting for power with Wood. In 28 games with Wood last year, he hit seven doubles and nine home runs, um, which is 16 extra base hits of his 26 total hits. So he's impressive. It's a pretty easy operation at the plate. Stands upright, very little load, and he's a super physical guy. He looks like... He almost looks like a football player, and I know that's that's a comp that's kind of viewed as a fault, but for him, it plays really well. He really gets the bat moving. It's a swing that generates loft, and he's got power to all fields. So he's not a guy that's a byproduct of, these, of whatever is going on with the college bats. His mm-hmm. power is absolutely legit, and he's also walking more than he's striking out, which I find mm-hmm. impressive. He struck out 64 times last year in Charlotte, cut down the swing and miss a little bit because he's cleaned up his swing, and it's it, uh, it's impressive for sure. There are still some issues with spin, so I think professionally, he's he's got 20 at home run upside as I think a right fielder and and probably mm-hmm. a power over hit guy. When all said and done, but he's going to be a good get for someone wherever he goes. Whether that's in the middle of day two, maybe a little earlier, mm-hmm. even towards the the middle endish part of day two, that's a really quality get for I'd say round six through nine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he, he'll be 22 on draft day. So you've got the senior element there with him. I think he actually turns 22, like basically just a month before the draft. So not massively old, but anytime you get to 22 on draft day, I kind of think of you in my head as as a senior sign, whether or not you actually are a senior. Um, we've got a couple draft-eligible sophomores in this class who who didn't get selected, went back to school, and it'll be um, basically the the same age as seniors, even though they're not in their senior season. You mentioned the, the football element. Another player here on our, our risers board is Colt Miller. Uh, Miller's father, Michael, played in the NFL, and I think he's also a guy, when you look at him physically, he looks like he would fit on the football field. Six foot six, 225 pounds, um, low 90s fastball on the mound, really good, boring life. Um, It's not the fastest arm, but I think it's just a big, strong kid who's flashed a slider um, that's inconsistent now. But I think it's shown enough that, that maybe you can bank on it. Becoming an average pitch in the future with more reps and a little bit of refinement. Feel for a mid 80s change up. It seems like this kind of profile, six foot six high school pitcher with body types ranging from 225 pounds to like really lanky 175 180 pounds with solid three pitch mixes there are so many of these players throughout the 50 to even 400 range of this draft class there's just so many interesting arms miller is one of the guys who's been getting a ton of buzz on the west coast um he's a ucla commit so maybe that one will be a tricky sign um but he's been trending up boards and and kind of leads this group of of risers in terms of just spots moved up. Are there any other guys? And oh no, go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna. You, I was probably gonna answer your next question. So you go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, are there any other guys, any other movers up up the boards that that are fascinating to you, uh, Peter, for one reason or another?
1: So on this list, I think James Wonger is a guy that he's sitting at one seventy five right now, which is the middle of day two, and he's a guy that I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest when we do our final whether it's the ba 500 or our final pre-draft rankings to have him maybe even on the cusp of the top 100 overall Mm -hmm. everything out of texas on him has been outstanding he's a superb athlete it's plus arm speed he's been up to 98 his curveballs flash plus with tight spin um he's kind of like i mean i mean he's he's got starter upside Mm -hmm. And he's just been tearing it up this spring. So he's a guy that I'm very intrigued about.
0: Yeah, he'll also be 19 on draft day. He'll be draft eligible if he does make it to campus, Dallas Baptist commit. Um, He's a fascinating one as well. Um, But let's get into – so I always feel like when we talk about the draft, when we talk about the draft board, it's very easy to not talk about – kind of the depth players and and maybe that's because no one wants to hear about them, but I really think at at baseball America, people are kind of crazy about prospects and I know we're crazy about prospects. So I wanted to find a way to talk about players throughout the draft board here. So what I've asked Peter to do and what I've done for myself is we've basically picked out a player in each quadrant of the draft board as it stands right now. One player among the top 100, one player in the one Oh one to 200 range one player in the 201 to 300 range and then one player in the 301 to 400 range um, it could be a player you like it could be a player who's who's a bit weird and interesting it could be a player who's gotten a lot of buzz lately it could be a player who's falling basically any player that, that we think is interesting and want to chat about on this podcast uh, one for each of us in, in each of those regions to hopefully give you a little bit more insight into the class as a whole it's hard to cover in depth the entire draft class on a podcast and i, and I don't think that's Maybe the best format to do it so definitely check out all of the reports and the actual draft board itself on the website um peter myself have been spending a lot of time trying to to get those reports to you guys you kind of know who all these players are what they do what they don't do um but let's get into this peter so i don't know do you want to go first or do you want me to go first and would you prefer to work down the list or up the list from the back i'll let you pick you're you're the guest
1: I was gonna say, as the guest, all of you go first so I can see how you do it, and then we'll go. I like kind of going from that first hundred on down.
0: Okay, sounds good. All right, so my guy, I think, is also kind of your guy for a number of reasons. My, my top one hundred player is Sammy Stafura, shortstop out of Walter Panas High School in New York. You can correct me if I pronounce any of those wrong, uh, Peter. If, if you're aware of these high school names. Um, but Sammy Stafura, let me pull up how much he moved up in our last update. Uh, he, he's one of these high school shortstops that I'm talking about in kind of that late first, second round range. It feels like there are a ton of them in that spot right now. So we have him number 57 on the board right now. Previously, he was outside of the 100. It's a 50 spot jump for Stafura. I remember seeing him last year at the Area Code Games, and it just it felt like he did everything well. He hit well. He's got a very quiet swing offensively. He's a great defender. I've I've talked with some scouts who think he's one of the best defensive shortstops in the class, which is high praise. He's gotten a ton of buzz early this spring. A lot of scouts running in to see him. He's getting cross-checked by a number of teams. uh, And he's performed really well with all that attention. I don't know if this is—this probably is going to become a bit of a comp that I use regularly because I think there are so many players it can apply to. But there's almost like a, a little Anthony Volpe feel with Stifura because he doesn't have tools that really jump out at you. He's he's kind of average size frame. He's just a player who does everything really well. And I think if he does add a little bit more strength, and I think we've already seen him add a little bit more strength this offseason. He's driving the ball a little bit harder. Um, everything's just going to play up and take a jump. There's no tool that he has that I think is a real weakness or something he can't do on the baseball field. Um, He he has great pitch recognition. He uses all fields. He can hit secondaries. Um, He's shown a little bit of over-the-fence power now, and I think he's got this sort of bat speed and frame uh, and strength to get a little bit more where maybe it's never going to be plus power with Stifura, but I think it could be solid power. Um, And when you pair that with just sound hitting ability, the defensive actions, you feel safe about him sticking at shortstop and being a very good defender there. I think you're looking at a really well-rounded profile. Um, and I'm curious to see if someone is going to take him high enough to sign him out of a Clemson commit. But that's one that I really like in the top 100. He's a guy moving up boards. It's a profile that I typically love. High school shortstops. Just take all the high school shortstops you can for me, and I'll be happy. Um, and I think, Peter, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you maybe even had a hand in him being on the uh, the Yankees area code team last summer when I first saw him.
1: So that was, all, that was all Matt Hyde, who's the Northeast scout, Northeast area guy for the Yankees and his staff. Um, I did have some interaction with Sammy Sephora in our scout team events, but him being on the area code team was, was all Matt Hyde and, cool. and the, the rest of the staff. But I'm with you where if you got a high school shortstop where you know he's going to stick at the position like Sephora, he's an outstanding defender, really good athlete. That's gonna be a hard profile to pass up on. I like Mm this swing a lot. It's a really quiet, simple operation that he generates bat speed and he can generate power. And I I'm with you that while he's at fifty seven now, I think that it's very conceivable for him to move up. So Mm -hmm. um Yeah, so that's my guy. Who's
0: yeah, who's your guy in the top one hundred that you like?
1: So I like Kiefer Lord, the right handed pitcher out of Washington at sixty. Um, This past weekend, he had his best start, I think, of his college career where he went eight shutout against Stanford with 10 Ks, no walks, only gave up three hits, and it's a really big arm talent. He came over from D3 Carlton College, so he's still kind of getting his feet wet in terms of a... I think being around the resources at a D1 school, and then he'll go from that into a professional org. But Mm -hmm. it's a really good arm talent. He's got a fast arm. Fastball is outstanding. He throws it 80% of the time. It's been up to 99, and he's got really good shape with carry. And he's still kind of getting a feel for a breaking ball, but with some of the curveballs that he's thrown, and he's kind of been throwing his breaking ball more as we Mm -hmm. get through the season, which isn't totally surprising. Um, it's a really tight spinning, high spin 12-6 curveball that it's inconsistent in shape, but once he gets into like a, a, a pro development style system, that could be a pro that I think that's gonna be a a um a plus pitch as we go forward. Mm-hmm. And then he's got a, a harder slider that is a little bit like a cutter. It's gotten a little more horizontal at times. Um, and then if you look at the frame, it's a pretty pretty wiry guy it's it's easy to envision adding some more weight to it and with it will come velocity and there are some tweaks in the delivery i think where you can get his lower half a little more engaged you can get him sitting for a little longer and it's it's not hard to envision him being a a a triple digits guy once he gets and, and starts to progress through the pro rank so there's a little bit of risk there. I think that teams are going to buy in on the fact that he's still developing his arsenal mm-hmm. as a pitcher. And it'll take time once you get him into an organization. But I, he's one of the better college arms on the board and would be a good get in the later mm-hmm. part of day one, I think.
0: Yeah, he's probably been one of the better performing pitchers that we don't have inside the top 30 right now. Just if you look at pitchers outside of that first round range in terms of performance and what he's done this spring, he's he's consistently been one of the better guys um, through his first nine starts is a 3.83 ERA, 56 strikeouts, 12 walks, and just under 50 innings of work, 215 opposing batting average, 28% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate. That's all pretty good. Um, and he's pitching off his fastball a lot, despite the fact that his secondaries are really good. So I like the riding life on the fastball. I like all the elements you mentioned. He was a hot sheet guy last week, and I think just looking at the start he had against Stanford, it was of the eight swings um, that players had against that slider that you were talking about, four of them were whiffs. So that was kind of cool to see um, for Kiefer Lord. But again, another another of these West Coast pitchers who's been really impressive all season, so you go with the college ranks and you take a pitcher in, in our first little range here. I took a high, high school shortstop as as only I can. Um, I, I promise you these all will not be high school shortstops for me. I tried to go, I actually tried to go each each main demographic. So for the 101 to 200 range, which is roughly four to six rounds um, on the board, obviously our our board is a ranking of talent and that doesn't always align perfectly with with how the baseball draft works. Um, But in terms of how we view the talent, my player was kind of a borderline guy to make it in the top 200. I went with um, Sabine Sabayos at Oregon third baseman. I'm just kind of interested in his path to where he's at right now. I remember watching him out of high school in 2020 when he was this really fascinating potential two way guy with big arm strength Um, questions about his offensive game as a whole um there were thoughts about if you can't hit maybe you've got a a conversion pitcher he had been up to 93 miles per hour on the mound as a high schooler so that was kind of an interesting element to his game but he went to san jacinto junior college in texas hit 341 with 17 homers 28 doubles um played two years there then transferred to oregon for 2023 and he's just continued to mash through the first 36 games of the season. It's a 339, 451, 669 slash line, 10 homers. He His play discipline is solid. It's about the same walks as strikeouts, 17% strikeout rate, 15.7% walk rate. It's a good eye, solid contact, some power to the pull side. And what's what's maybe the most fascinating part about Ceballos is he's playing third base now he's a really poor runner and I don't know that he's like definitely a third baseman at the next level. And I've talked to some scouts who wonder about maybe catcher conversion candidate with him. He's caught a little bit in the past. We've already talked about how this catching demographic is really weak. He's bilingual. I think that will help him if he's learning to catch in the lower levels of the minors, just being able to communicate with every pitcher that you're dealing with. The arm is plus. So I think that that could be interesting there. So I'm I'm curious how teams will handle him. Um, because it's it's like not the prettiest operation, but he makes contact, he hits the ball hard. I think people are kind of waiting for him to stop hitting, but he just hasn't done that yet. Uh, and so he's very intriguing to me because I don't know that I feel like strongly about what his profile is or what his role is going to be, um, but just the tools and what he's done offensively and the, the potential positions he could play for you. All of that's been fascinating and seeing him go from this questionable hitter out of high school who has big arm strength to to a guy who's really just done nothing but mash the last three years and is now doing it in the Pac-12, he's really fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned two things that that really piqued my interest with one, him being bilingual, and that's a really underrated aspect with being able to communicate with arms and keeping the flow of the game going, especially at the lower level professional ranks. And obviously even as you get through them, but potentially converting him into a catcher and if you're going to view him as a catcher potentially given his plus arm strength the questions about him staying at third and maybe even the hazy profile i mean if you're looking at a 6'3, 220 catcher he's a little big for the position but yeah. sitting 330 in the pack with 11 jacks and nine doubles king as much as he's walking and he in a weak college catching class that's a guy that I mean, if you can get him in the middle of day two or the tail end of day two as yeah. as a catcher, that's that's a <laughs> that'll be a really big steal.
0: I really hope we start hearing about, oh, there there are some teams that are working out Sabine and he's, he's catching. They're seeing what he can do behind the plate. I wonder if that'll that'll happen as we get closer to the draft. I hope it does, because I think it'll be a lot of fun. It is a weird. It's a bit of a weird body type for catcher. Maybe you'd be worried about the mobility back there. And you do mention he's he's kind of big in both directions for the position. But I'm just kind of salivating thinking about how his arm might play there. Maybe he's a terrible catcher. I don't know, but he's definitely caught a bit in the past. So it's it's an option at least. So get him into some pro, um, pro coaching with the catching side. I think it could be fun. But that's mine. So who you got in the 46 round range on our board right here?
1: So I have Tommy Hawk out of Wake Forest. He's been a guy that I have long been a fan of. He's an absolute dynamo. He's just five seven, but he plays so much bigger than he actually is. He is so much fun to watch on the baseball field. He brings a ton of energy. His, his energy rubs off on everyone in the dugout. He plays the game super hard. He's kind of the embodiment of what it is to be a dirt dog. And he's, as a draft eligible sophomore, he's been outstanding at wake in a lineup that's full of stars. And he's even been able to separate himself as one of the guys in that lineup that features Brock Wilkin and Nick Kurtz and, and and so many other good hitters. But He's hitting 387, 15 doubles, two home runs, elite bat-to-ball skills. He's got 36 walks to 32 Ks, but just watching him play and watching him in the box, it's clear that he's got really good pitch recognition skills. He's able to fight off difficult pitches and just flick them foul and and, and produce really good spoils up there. And he's a plus runner. He's got 11 stolen bases. There are questions if, he, if he's going to be able to stick and center professionally, uh, just just given the overall profile. I don't know if the arm strength is necessarily there, but the speed and the off-the-bat reads absolutely are with the baseball instincts. So with that said, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go slide up to the dirt, maybe at second base, which is where he got some reps in the fall at Wake Forest. He played a little second base and played a little shortstop played on the infield in high school and so I think that while he'll probably start in the outfield somewhere professionally even if it's in left I I bet that he will slide up and in in play second where he's a good defender he's got great feet the arm will play a lot better there his baseball sense will translate and it's absolutely hit over power but we've seen him this year on even though it was just uh, one of his home runs at Louisville, it was not a cheap home run at all. It was a legit Mm -hmm. bomb. That's not to say that Hawks going to hit for power, but there is a little bit more in there than maybe the back of the baseball card will indicate. So slash and dash guy all the way chance to be a plus defender at second base. And I I think that it's a profile that fits really well with maybe a team like the Cleveland guardians who took an undersized guy like Nate Furman last year in the fourth round um
0: you had cleveland you know. at not great power and they were all in so
1: <laughs> hey, th- but uh no so he's he's a guy that i really like in that fourth and sixth round range he'll occasionally shoot a gap flick a ball down the line and his mm-hmm. speed will allow him to take an extra base so he's one this, of my favorites
0: this is probably going to be a ludicrous player comparison but he feels in a lot of ways like a, a poor man's self relic to me um and i also did tell peter before the podcast that since he was taking Ben's seat today, he had to talk about a player who was shorter than five foot 10. So congrats on fulfilling that requirement, Peter. <laughs> Absolutely. Hawk is a fun one. Cause you look at the, the chase rate, the contact rate, the end zone whiff rate, and it's all really impressive. It's all green. The exit velocities are in the red. So it's concerning about that. I don't know that he's the, the player you're going to look at and think that, Oh, he's going to grow into uh, significantly more strength and power, but it does seem like he just has a, a very good idea of putting the barrel on the ball. His his exit velocities are really tightly bundled into that ten to thirty degree range that you want that, want hitters to be in. Um, his rate of, of balls hit in that specific launch angle is pretty high. Um, so maybe he's always going to be this guy who who just gets the absolute most out of his power, um, sprays line drives, um, isn't up the middle profile. The second base element is really interesting to me because I really haven't thought of him in that capacity too much prior to this conversation, Peter. But I think that's a another wrinkle that should make his profile attractive. And I think being one of the spark plugs and one of the better lineups in the country uh, this season won't won't hurt him either.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and with talking about Freilich in it, even in a joking way, Freilich was a guy that while he I think he's got a little more impact than Hawk, and we've seen it even all the way up through AAA and in the pro ranks. Um, he also was viewed at some point and even w- was being talked about as potentially a, a second baseman at, at big league spring training. So yeah. Hawk is definitely a guy that, that fits that mold.
0: Awesome. All right, let's keep moving down the board. We're going to the two Oh one to 300 range. This would be roughly seven to 10 round range. So when we say back of day two, this is kind of the range we're talking about here. Um, So I've done my high school hitter. I've done my college hitter. I've got to go to the pitching side. Now I'm going to go with Graham Osman, who is a left-handed pitcher at Long Beach state. He is another player who kind of like Sabine has had a, maybe not a winding road, but he certainly has um, taken a massive step forward this year. He was a bullpen pitcher with Arizona state really struggled with control his 2022 season. Was very tough. I think it was a, a nine plus ERA. I don't have the numbers up right in front of me now, um, but this year he moved into a full time starting role. The strikes are significantly better. The stuff looks the same. The delivery doesn't look too different. But he's he's interesting because he's six foot three, lean, wiry, one hundred and eighty five pounds, in attacks from a really low sidearm slot. Um, so he's throwing around ninety mile per hour on average with his fastball. He's touched ninety four, ninety five. I think the fastball has and maybe this is just because the command has taken a big step forward this year has has gotten by hitters a little bit more frequently than he was able to do in the past. Um, He also flashes a slider that has a chance to be above average. I think all pitchers who are working with a low slot right there. When you're throwing a breaking ball, there's always questions about how consistent is it going to be. But we've heard that when he's hitting on that pitch, it looks like an above-average pitch that probably plays up from the angle it's coming out at. He doesn't doesn't often use um, a changeup, but I think that he has one there that maybe. In the pro game, he'll use it a bit more frequently. See what that can turn into. But it's a mid 80s changeup. Certainly needs a little bit more work. Um, but just the the deception, the arm angle, the huge step forward in strikes. I'm not sure exactly what the reason is for those strikes improving, but the fact that it has and that he's handled a starting role really well for Long Beach State has been impressive. Um, he's looking at career best 24.7% strikeout rate. I think it's a career best 9.5% walk rate as well. So just a lot of up arrows for um, Graham Osmond. And it's not it's not a stuff jump this spring. It's just a performance and a control and command jump that he's taken. Um, I'm curious where teams will have him. And maybe if he's a player who he, he is pretty lean, maybe he can add a little bit more weight and the velocity can jump up a bit. And then all of a sudden you're talking about not a 90-mile-per-hour fastball, but 92-93 from that angle um, could play like 95-96 maybe.
1: Yeah, and... And if you're a team that misses on someone like Sean Sullivan or one of the lower slot lefties, yeah. getting a guy like Osman in that late day two range would would not be a bad consolation at all. And watching some video on him leading up to the podcast. Mm-hmm. This slider, it's gotten a lot of swing and miss. I think it's a miss rate north of forty percent, but it's a little shorter at times. But yeah. that's a pitch that I could easily see being a plus pitch once mm-hmm. he gets greater feel for it and gets into a pro organization. And with the lower slot and the lower release site on fastballs, even if he's 89-92, I know he's averaging just 90, but it's going to explode out of his hand, especially when elevated. Mm-hmm. And then with that slot, it's I think being able to get him to turn over a changeup would be key, and I think that that's going yep. to be a key third pitch for him to add down the road.
0: Yeah, I always want college pitchers to throw change-ups more often. They never throw them as much as I would like. He's thrown his just about 5% of the time. He doesn't have any real platoon splits. I was checking to see if he was he was much better versus lefties or much better versus righties. It didn't look like there were any significant splits. I know it's small sample. It takes longer for those splits to, to kind of show themselves if they are there. But I, you mentioned the slider being a little bit shorter. I think probably in general everything is is up in terms of strike percentage but last year he threw the slider for strikes less than half the time and i think the fact that he's throwing that pitch for a strike more than 60 percent of the time just really helps everything play up if if you're you're standing in the box and you know you don't really have to worry about a breaking ball because he can't land it i mean that that makes your job a lot easier as a hitter and so just him being able to control that pitch more consistently everything has looked really good for him i don't know if it's something that that Altman himself figured out or if the long beach state pitching staff probably a little bit of both there it's never it's never really one or the other um i guess unless you maybe this happens all the time for high school pitchers actually we heard about quinn priester not really having uh ever really dealt with a pitching coach he kind of was, was self-taught entirely in high school but i'm digressing here a little bit let's get to your player peter who you have
1: so as a northeast guy i had to go with a northeast player in yeah. this range and he's a guy that I've really fallen in falling in love with both between his performance last summer in the NECBL and this year at Maine and that second baseman Quinn McDaniel and he's hitting 376 for Maine this year, 10 doubles, 9 home runs. He hit well in the NECBL, he hit over 300, uh, there was some impact there with the wood bat and when you talk about bat to ball skills and advanced approach, he he fits the mold to a T. He's got 47 walks, he got excuse me against just 26 strikeouts um there's been a little bit so it was interesting when I was doing a little bit of a deeper dive on McDaniel when I was writing him up there are issues there with spin against sliders. he's whiffing more than 40 percent of the time fastballs he's not really missing at all it's a miss rate of just 15 percent. but he's got a high leg kick at the plate sometimes he'll get a little bit out on his front side and you can see it, even with the balls that he'll he'll punch down the line and hit into a gap. It's he's very heavy on his front side at times, but he's got really good hand action. He's got plus he's got plus hand speed, I think. Um, And it was a little bit, I I comped him and it's a lofty one, but I, I drew a comparison in his leg kick to angel shortstop, Zach Neto, um, who was a fellow mid major guy and Mick Daniels got a low handset.
0: I love that one. Uh,
1: Yeah. There's a lot of pre-swing movement. Um, so if a team decides to clean that up if it doesn't play at the pro level um, with McDaniel's bat speed and bat to ball sense I still think he's going to hit the hit professionally I don't know about the impact necessarily but I think he's he's an over 300 hitter I think with a chance at five to eight home runs he's a really good defender at second base moves well in either direction soft hands good runner and good baseball sense so that's going to be a really appealing option for teams as we as, as day two winds down
0: yeah i think the 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 hitting comp the mechanical comp to Neto is a great one um and Neto was the quickest guy from the 2022 class to reach the majors he didn't really change the the swing too much it just kept working for him at the pro level so i think if you are one of these guys who you just have a, a fantastic feel for the barrel you have a really great eye you're consistently on time at your launch position. Even if you have all these moving parts, there are players who who can make that operation work. Um, you had mentioned the just the chase and the contact rates is really good for him. The power spike is another guy who just career high in power this year. Um, maybe trickier to evaluate, but but you had a, a pretty good summation of what we should expect for his power moving forward. That's an interesting one. Um, yeah, and really May like has the, a
1: sneaky they've got a sneaky track record too. If you look back mm. to 2016 to 2018 with shortstop Jeremy Pena and he's a different player than McDaniel, but yeah. McDaniel's producing more than Pena ever did in, in his three seasons at Maine. And so it's, it's, it's not I- impossible for a small Northeast school guy to be an impact player at the big league level, which I also think is going to be appealing as teams, both view McDaniel as someone else from Maine. And then also just cold weather guys in general.
0: Yeah, love those cold weather bats. The Pena, bring up Pena is good. Because at the time, Pena was like all glove, no bat, shortstop. And a few years later, he's World Series MVP, Rookie of the Year. All these kind of crazy awards for him. McDaniel, he's never walked less than 10% of the time in any of his three years with Maine. And this year, it's a crazy 26%, which is ridiculous. But that's a good one. All right, let's get into the last range here. This is 301 to 411 to 13 rounds roughly. Um, at this point on the board, we're getting to... We probably reached it a long time before this 300 range, but really the gap between players is so minimal um, that it's very hard to separate players uh, one of my favorites about the draft process is when we finish the BA500, really being able to go back over the entire list in detail when we update reports for, for kind of our final reports, um, being able to maybe go in and tweak rankings a little bit more specifically. Um, that's what we do kind of in this range. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm, I'm expecting that maybe my player here, I, so I've done high school hitter, I've done college hitter, I've done college pitcher, now I've got to go to a high school high school pitcher just to make myself feel feel comfortable with all the four players that i've taken um in this little exercise but i'm going with jacob goldston a right-handed pitcher at flower mound high school in texas i think he's a guy who could easily be higher when we update next just looking at him when i watch him throw on the mound I'd, i'd get very excited he's got a fantastic frame six foot six 200 pounds Quick delivery, compact arm action, fast arm action. He's got a multi-sport background. Was not a big name, not a prominent name last summer on the showcase circuit. I didn't know a ton about him. Uh, Doing some reporting earlier this spring, his name came up as as kind of a guy to look out for. Someone who's interesting. Um, He matched up with a a few prominent prospects in Texas. And I think uh, people really started to see how good he was. It's not the most... Uh, outstanding stuff now in terms of just radar gun readings. He'll pitch in the upper 80s low 90s. He's touched 92-93 but the fastball has tremendous arm side life. He throws strikes. He fills up the zone with the pitch. He's shown feel to spin a slider. Again it's not the hardest slider right now. It's a little bit slurvy at times. Upper 70s. But if you just look at the the shape of the pitch. his feel to spin it consistently. I think as he adds strength as he gets a little more power It's going to become a pitch that's above average. He's also shown really good feel for a low 80s changeup. Just everything about him screams starter traits to me. I like the physical projection you can dream on with him. The fact that he's established the fastball for strikes at such a high rate in the past. uh, And just the the limited sample that I have to look at with him. It's like 70% fastball strike rate, which is awesome to see from a high school pitcher. He's thrown a curveball in the past as well. Um, But I think probably that slider is going to be the breaking ball that, that he throws more consistently in the future, but just looking at the body, looking at how it works, looking at the arm action, the finish. I really love everything about him and I love dreaming on high school righties. So uh, that's my pick in this range. What do you got on that one, Peter?
1: So admittedly, I actually didn't know much about Golston until I saw him listed as your guy. And so when you, when you listed him as your guy, I immediately went on to synergy to go check out what I could find on him. And he's, It's really, really good clay, and it's something that you touched at. He's a high-waisted kid, immense physical projection. It's a low-effort delivery right now, and what stood out to me was that arm side life on the fastball, and I think that he's going to keep adding velocity as he matures physically, which I think is just a a byproduct of him growing up. He's just going to be 18 on draft day still, and so I think... Obviously, the signability is a big variable there with. Yeah, if Oklahoma he does get picked. Yeah, yeah, if he does get picked on day three, but he's a. I would not be shocked that, you know, when the high school seasons start to finish up and he throws maybe a little bit in the summertime, that he does kind of fly up boards and he goes even in in the middle of day two and people are kind of sitting there on draft day being like mm, the yeah. school kid, you know, where he come from. So I think that's yeah. a great pick.
0: If he, if he definitely, if he gets drafted and signed, it's not going to be in the range where we have him on the board here, unless it's like a massive overpay. And that would even be closer to like 300 range in the 11th or 12th round. Um, but man, I'm, I'm really excited about him, whether or not he goes to pro ball, because I think if he does go to Oklahoma, he's going to be a monster in about three years. So this this maybe will turn into one of my gut field picks for the draft. We talk about personal cheese balls. I really haven't found a great one that I like deep into the draft. And Sammy Staffura is kind of moving up into a range where I feel like I can't claim him as a personal cheese ball because he's just been too good. Maybe Golston will be my guy. Uh, for that but who's your last player in this 301 to 400 range that that you're excited about my
1: last one and he is a guy that if he goes on day 3 um i think will be a massive steal even though he's probably a reliever down the road and that's Brody Hopkins out of Winthrop primarily a fastball slider guy throws his fastball um he actually splits the pitches pretty well he throws his fastball just over 50% of the time slider 40% of the time and then he'll mix in a changeup very seldomly um in the back of the baseball card it's not super sexy he's got a six era 34 walks and 35 innings but six 200 pounder he is an unbelievable athlete he's a two-way guy for winthrop um and he's a plus runner in the outfield he's got immense arm strength obviously given what he's done on the mound um but he's a really really intriguing option once um once we get into day three and you kind of look at, you know, if a team like the Dodgers or the Rays takes someone like that, what they could do with, with someone who like Hopkins, where his fastball it's been up into the upper nineties, topped out at 98 with really good shape and carry to it. The slider has flashed, I'd say 60 at times. And it's a legit sweeper in um, a big speed differential off his fastball. It's an easy delivery. He's got a fast arm throws from a deceptive, I'd call it like a low, low three-quarter slide. He drops it down even further on sliders. And to – I would not be totally surprised to see the slider progress even further into a legit, perhaps double-plus pitch professionally. Mm-hmm. And if he can clean up the command a little bit, clean up his balance and his delivery falls a little bit off towards the first base side. Um, but if he kind of refines his operation a bit and um, – once he gets into professional baseball, you're looking at a reliever with two plus pitches probably will get into the triple digits given his athleticism, flexibility, mm-hmm. and just what, what it's looking like it's going to be for Hawkins. So I, I think getting him on day three, whether that's early in the day or if someone goes for, even in the the back portion of day two, which I wouldn't be um, blown away by, um, You're going to get a reliever with two plus pitches, and if he can clean up his strikes, he's going to be an impact guy at the big league level.
0: Yeah, he has some. You you talked about Clay with um, with Golson. Just a minute ago, I think you've got another guy here who has some really interesting clay to work with for a pro team. The athleticism uh, element of his profile really piques my interest as maybe that can help him make these changes you would need him to make at the next level, figure out the command, figure out the control and consistently get a little bit better balance in the delivery. Um, I feel like having a, a great athlete would only help with, with all those tweaks you would need to make, but that's a fun one. Do you think that he has a change up in the tank at all? Or do you think he's just a guy that focus on the fastball, focus on the slider, focus on getting those pitches over the plate, um, put him in a bullpen and see what he does is, is the change up a complete non-factor here.
1: So he's thrown it only 8% of the time this year and mm. he's got inconsistent feel for it. Um, it's actually flat. Like it's got pretty sharp tumbling action to it. Yeah. And you've kind of, there'll be a few that he turns over where, where you'll raise your eyebrows and be like, Hmm, But I wouldn't be – I don't think he's a starter by any stretch. And I think that once he gets into an organization, if you just kind of want to hone in on making the fastball and slider two legit 70 pitches, which is not out of the realm of possibility and I think is very close to being already the case, I think that's totally fine. So while I think that they'll probably try and work on the change of a bit, I bet that whoever drafts him goes quickly to just being a, a fastball slider guy where he just mixes in a a changeup just to change up the hitter's eyes and, and and get them off balance.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I should shut up about a changeup. I think we've seen that, that you can be really effective if you just focus on your two best pitches and don't worry about making maybe a, a distant third pitch, something that's average or fringy. Maybe it's more effective to just take what's, what's really good already and, and try and get the absolute most out of those pitches. Spencer Strider says, hello. Um, so those were our players. If you guys want to go through the list and kind of pick out guys who, who maybe you like, um, if you find any personal cheese balls as you're reading the reports on players, or maybe you've been able to get out and see some of these 2023 prospects, let us know um, either at Future Projection um, on Twitter. Um, you have my Twitter at Carlos A. Colazzo. Peter, what's your Twitter? You can plug that for everyone here who, who's not familiar with it. But if you're not following Peter, you definitely should be because you will be a much smarter baseball fan and an, an expert on the college game by following him there.
1: I appreciate the kind words. My Twitter is at Peter G. Flaherty. Um, um, just kind of exactly Carlos's handle, except my first name, middle initial, and my last name. Yeah. Um, my DMs are open. It's a decision that is so far not led to anything crazy so if you want to chop it up about a player or discuss why we have someone ranked where we do feel free to shoot me a message and i'd be happy to to talk it through with anybody
0: yeah um let's see any housekeeping we need to take care of here again as always you guys we have the future projection email if you have any questions you want us to answer on the podcast uh, we should be getting back towards more of our mailbag segments in the future when ben comes back peter i think uh you've acquitted yourself nicely so if you ever want to come back on the podcast you are more than welcome to do so i'm sure we'll have you on as the draft gets closer maybe after the draft too and we can talk about our favorite draft classes um, the email is futureprojection at baseballamerica.com. That'll be in the show notes. I'll link Peter's Twitter in the show notes as well, so you can follow him if you have not already. As always, guys, if you haven't rated or reviewed the show and you feel so inclined, that helps us out in the various algorithms that puts the show in front of people who maybe haven't listened to it yet uh, but would enjoy it. So if you feel like that is something you want to do, then thank you. We appreciate that. Um, Thank you guys for listening to the episode today all the way through. And thank you to all the Baseball America subscribers. You guys really allow us to do everything that we do here. You allow me and Peter to sit back and and chat players for an hour. And hopefully um, that's been something that's added a little bit of value to your day today. So um, before we get out of here, Peter, is there anything you want to plug for the listeners? Either to watch out for on the college baseball front, to watch out for for you in terms of content on the site uh, or podcasts or anything basically that you want to plug here.
1: Really similar to what you said. Thank you guys for listening and for the support. It really is the subscribers that allow us to do what we do. And I've seen it even in just my four months here. It's been, it's been really special to be able to talk about college guys and talk about the draft for, for a job. And it's a dream come true. But, um, on the college side, I'll have a, what to watch for article up. Probably I do every week. Um, it'll be out by the time you are listening to this. So feel free to check that out. If you're so inclined, uh, myself and Teddy Cahill are exceptional um, other college writer. And with a little bit, he'll dip his toes into the draft now and again. He and I will be releasing a college podcast every Thursday. Um, so that's out now. And yeah, really any day that you go over to the baseball America site, you'll have something new on the pro side, on the college side, it, really anything that you're looking for will be up there. So go ahead over to baseball America and, and you'll find whatever you're looking for.
0: Well, uh, Just four months in and Peter already has the plugs down like a pro. <laughs> nice job, <laughs> Peter. Yeah. For me, I'd say just, um, we're getting closer to the draft. So we'll have the BA 500 out before we know it. I'm sure, um, as JJ's is listening to this podcast, he's going to be thinking, man, we haven't done a mock draft in a while. So I think we'll have another mock draft out soon. I know you guys all love those. So we're, we're getting kind of into crunch time for the draft here. Um, so there's going to be a lot of, a lot of more reports, a lot of tweaking with the rankings, and then hopefully we can dive into the draft class more and and analyze some of the players up top a little bit more as well as we approach. So, um, no specific plugs for me. Just thank you guys again for listening. Thanks for supporting baseball America. Um, and we will see you next week. I believe Ben will be back from the Dominican Republic. We'll have the normal show back and rolling and hopefully last week's, um, lack of an episode isn't isn't terribly disappointing after getting some draft talk from from Peter and myself today. So thank you guys for listening uh, for Peter I'm Carlos so long everybody.